I want to start off with a question as we get into this new series. Um, and yeah, Dana read the whole chapter, but we're probably only going to make it through about half the chapter. But uh, what's what's new, right? <laughs> so, um, who came equipped this morning? One guy? Two guy? Three guy? Anybody else come equipped this morning? Miss Cheryl came equipped. So about about four or five of us. About four or five people came equipped. Oh, you equipped. Oh, good, 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 good. I didn't. Well, here you go. I tell you what. Since I missed you, here you go. I apologize. Go ahead and just build it. How you doing? Good. You building it sturdy? Good. Good. You go. Oh, I didn't tell you to build a church. No, no, I didn't tell you about. Build me a house. All right. That's a good attitude, ain't it? <laughs> we we got to keep it going because I got more to go with us. So you're gonna have to act like you're not as good as a person as you seem to be. Um, you're not gonna build me a house? I need some wood. Oh, 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 oh! But I gave you a hammer. And a you need a foundation. I tell you what. Hold on, hold on. I got. I got instructions. I'm going to get your mom to help you there. Y'all do it as a team. We have our contractor already. That's the <laughs> Quit trying to sound all spiritual. This ain't a spiritual thing. <laughs> we just because we in church don't mean everything got to be spiritual. No, no, no. We're going to read them first. I gave him instructions. I, well, I gave him a hammer. I messed up and didn't give him the instructions. How you doing now? You're studying, all right. What you going to build? You're still building a house? Oh, you need different instructions. I got I got plenty. Here you go. A different one. Read that one and build me a house now. What you got? Not going to work. So you got to. Oh, hold on. There's more. There's a whole owner's manual right there. It tells you everything top to bottom. And it's Ford, so you know it's good. All right. Too funny that a Chevy guy picked that up. Yep. Huh? Hey, I tell you what. Oh, now you want to act like you ain't holy. You've been holy for 10 minutes into this illustration, and now we're going to not be holy. Okay. Huh? Well, I tell you what. Cancel the plans. I asked you to build a house, but I gave you the wrong instructions. You were equipped, but I guess you didn't know what you were equipped for. Uh, I gave you a tool, but the tool didn't get it done, so I guess you needed more. You got in. I tell you, just build me a car since the last one's a car. <laughs> Here's my thing, guys. I'm talking about. We pile on. We live in a world that's full of information. We just pile stuff on. We got all kind of worry. We got distractions. We got noise. I mean, it's all over the place. Just just an abundance of stuff. You get up in the morning, your phone's going off. You got this email, you got that email, you got this text, you got that text. If you dare cut on the TV, you got 25 different news stories going. It's just a world full of noise. And in the world full of noise, in a world full of news, in a world full of information, in a world full of ideas, what Peter's getting at now is he transitions into this second letter. And again, not a letter, if you wasn't with us with First Peter, Peter's not writing letters like Paul. Paul wrote to a specific church for a specific thing. Peter's writing this thing to all believers. He wants it to get passed around to, to everybody. 
And a year after, maybe five years, a year to five, we got a little range there because we don't know for sure. He didn't post-date it. But, but you got that range. After he finished First Peter, he looked out at, the, at his Christian brothers and sisters. And he saw that they were getting bombarded with stuff. Bombarded with pagan religion. Bombarded with things of the culture. Bombarded with information. Even, even bombarded with technically tools. I'm going to give you tools. I'm going to give you this. I'm going to give you that. I'm going to give you this. I'm going to ask you of this. I'm going to require of this and, and all this stuff. And Peter says, just wait. we got to figure out a way to distinguish truth from the lies. Because you can get all the information in the world, but if you're getting the wrong information, if you're getting the wrong instructions, if somebody's giving you a TV monitor and a microphone instruction and a car instruction but asking you to build a house, with just a hammer and no material, you're not going to get it. It's not going to be accomplished. So I, I was thinking this week and just reading Second Peter and knowing the, the the audience that he's writing to, and he's so this letter is so different. So you know, First Peter, we read it and and it was all about making sure you know you can endure, you can make it through. You you've established a relationship with Christ, and and sometimes we think that's it. We we, we get into the church and we're like, oh, I got saved, and like that's that's the ending of it like you got dunked you you got your name on a roll and, and 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 like you've accomplished the goal and you can stand on the podium and and receive your prize and peter's right and he goes guys this is just the beginning getting saved is only like the start so i wrote the word more and i know you little baptists and some of you uh, leftover methodist people will have a fit but i just i just want to ask like I, I, do you want to get more saved I, I don't know, this is a trick question, Pastor. Can you get more saved than... Well, let me, let me flip it then. Do you want to be less saved? Oh, so your immediate answer that you don't want to be less saved, but not as immediate to want to be more saved. Right? Do you not think there's more to your walk with Christ? Dana Redness said, I want you to have more grace. I want you to have more peace. Anybody need more grace and more peace? I don't know about you, but I need some more grace and peace, and I need to exhibit some more grace and peace. Right? He, he goes through this whole list of stuff, and he's like, I want you to be more godly. I want you to be more patient. I want you to, be, I want you to have more perseverance. I want, you to, I want you to love more. I want you to do this more. I want you to do that more. And I want you to do more. And what Peter's writing at and what he's going to get at through this whole letter is the more knowledge, the closer we get with Christ, the more we can exhibit this stuff. So, no, it's not a trick question. You're not going to get more saved but you're going to be a better believer. You're going to represent the kingdom in a better way. So as, as Peter's driving through this thing, and, and he wants us to understand, that, that's all it is for today, is just understanding that fruit is important. And he wants us to understand the truth behind fruit. Like, and sometimes I think in the church world, we get scared to produce fruit because we're afraid the fruit will take over from salvation, so then we just produce no fruit. And I'm like, you, you missed that. You missed that as well. Now, you can't just have the fruit and, and no salvation. It, it plays in both. So... Peter writes and he says this, he says, I think the best antidote for this heresy that's being preached around you, I think the best thing you can get and receive for all this information is just to get more knowledge of truth. Just to make sure you're more grounded in the word. If you want to live more holy and have a more godly life, you just need more knowledge in Christ. And I think he's spot on. Like we need to take time to make sure we're learning more knowledge in Christ and knowing God and getting to know God better and more. So Peter starts this thing. If you hadn't opened your Bibles with Daniel Red, open them. Second Peter chapter 1. And, and I just love, I don't even know if he intended on it to be like a point, you know, when, when he wrote it. But I love the start to this thing. He says, Simon Peter, 
That's me. Now, if you guys did any studying this week, I like to hope that you guys do since you know where we're going, you know, but I'll pretend like you did. You may have noticed like a lot of, a lot of people are saying like, well, we don't really know for sure who wrote this because the, the style is so different. Of course, the style is different. He's writing about a different topic. He's writing to, to a different group of people. They're now going through a different stage in their walk. Uh, what labeled it down for me, who the author is, is verse one where it says, I, Simon Peter wrote this. So huge biblical insight for you guys right there. I didn't have to do a lot of research to, to figure it out. But when he says Simon Peter, here's what I love. He's, and again, I don't know if he does it on purpose, but he's setting up his theme just in his name. I, Simon Peter, he's, he's getting late in life. He's only got a year or so before Nero's going to take him out. Nero's still ruling over Rome while he's writing this letter. And we know that Nero's going to be the one who kills Paul, who kills Peter. Uh, historically tells us that he killed Peter's wife. Um, you know, Peter's the one who said, I want to be crucified, but, but I want you to do it upside down because I'm not worthy of, of doing it this way. So all that stuff in church history. But when he says Simon Peter, I'm wondering, like, is he kind of thinking as he gets later in life, like, sometimes I'm still a little more Simon than I am Peter. Is that, like, is he remembering that, that old and that new? Is he writing to a group of people and reminding them, like, hey, I, I, I still got that old guy, but I'm becoming this new guy. Simon was his name given to him at birth. It was his, it was his birth name. You know, it, was, it, it was what his mom and daddy picked out. And, but Peter, when he gets this name Peter, he gets it from Jesus. And if you guys remember the story, and here's why I, I don't know if he did it on purpose, but I, I think it's just awesome, you know, what he's doing right here when he says his name. If you go to the Gospel of Matthew, and Matthew's telling his story, chapter 16, verses 13 through 20. I'm not going to read the whole thing, but if you need to check it out or do notes, like that, it's, it's a beautiful thing. Jesus is talking to his disciples, and he goes, who, who does everybody say I am? And, and, you know, they're going through all this stuff. And then Jesus gets more direct, and he goes, you know what's more important? It's not who does everybody else say I am. It's who do you say I am? Who do you say I am? So, so Peter responds. And Peter responds, he says, he says, you're the Messiah. You're the son of the living God. And Jesus, like, stops and goes, you know what? Peter rock on this rock is what I'm going to build my church and we we get this this thing right there like it's it's all the same word because we just translate scripture in English and and it just sounds like one big old fancy thing but I want to make sure you understand like the church isn't built on Peter I hate to ruin my Catholic brother and sister's ideas like like it's it's not that way the church can never be built on any man so when you break this thing down and get to to what he's like saying Jesus looks at him he says he says this this one word for rock where he says Peter, you're a pebble. You're a little rock. Seriously, that's what he's saying. Because you, you, you got this. Remember what Peter just said. Peter said, you're the Messiah. You're the, you're the son of the living God. And he goes, you, you got a little bit of what I want you to get. And isn't that how we do it in church sometimes? Like we get a little bit and think that's it. And that's what so many people have done when they read this verse. They're like, oh, that's it. That's, that's what we build everything on. And, 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 and that's it. And that's all we need. And it's over. But when you break this thing down and understand what Jesus said, Jesus said, Peter, you're, you're a pebble. But on that, on that little small idea, on that pebble idea, I'm going to build, and the next word he uses for rock is boulder. He says, I'm going I'm to build my church on this, this boulder, this huge truth, this rock solid thing. And just in thinking of Peter starting this, this, this letter with his names and, and throwing it out and going back and reading over when he got this name, Jesus was telling him, like, there's so much more that you're going to get. 
there's so much more that the church can get. There's so much, you can get so much deeper than just this, this small idea. Now you got to start with a small idea. There's nothing wrong with a small idea. You, you got to get a little truth before you can get deep into more truth. So like, that's a good start. But it's almost like Jesus is making a play on these words and he's saying like, this, this is just a start. It's going to get so much bigger. It's going to get so much deeper. It's going to get so much more powerful. And, and I think maybe he's saying the same thing to the church sometimes. He's like, guys, you, you've made this goal where you just want to baptize people and get people to, to have their name on a list and, and be able to announce that, hey, we grew 14 members this year and, and all that kind of fancy stuff. And that's good, but that's such a pebble compared to the boulder that I'm offering. That's such a, that's such a tiny thing compared to how deep and how big this thing could really get. So Peter begins to write this thing, and he, he's going on and on throughout this whole letter. It's only three chapters, but for three chapters, he's like, guys, we got to get the truth, and the truth is there's more to it. There's deeper to it. you got to kick out all the lies of the world and all the heresy and all that stuff, but when you grab the truth from the gospel and you, you grab what Scripture truly says, there's more. There's more. So the title, more, like how much, how much more do we want of God, Right? How much more authority do we want to give him? We sang a song, a uh, second song, I think it was, where we just said, like, God, we give you complete control. Like, we, we want you to do what you want to do with it. But, but do you really want God to have more control of your life? Because what that means is this sometimes. That means why God has more control of your life. That means there may be a moment where you get a phone call where your mom has to go get a blood transfusion. And in the middle of all that, somebody may run into your dad's car while you're in a parking lot. In the middle of him having a panic attack because he thinks his car is so cool and so great, like he, he, you're going to have to go get him something to eat because he forgot to eat. And in the middle of you going to get him something to eat, in the middle of that, he's now going to meet you at the hospital, except for he doesn't understand where he's going. So he's going to go to the wrong hospital, and then he's going to forget. He shouldn't even leave that out. Then he's going to forget what garage he parked in because downtown is like hell on steroids. And, and like all this, all this is going on. But, it, but if you had the pebble and building on the boulder, you can say, I was, I was just taking it. Like, I didn't like it, but I was just taking it, right? Like, that's, that's developing. That's, that's building up a better way. Like, I'm good with one problem, but by the time I got to the third, like, I'm losing my mind. You know what I'm saying? Like, like all right, that's enough. So, no, I'm, I'm with her. God, you got jokes. Like, it, eh, joke's over. Let's go ahead and cut this, cut this comedy skit short. Like, you know, but, but God says you can handle more because I'm, we're going to get to that verse in a minute, because I'm everything you need. So, so let me get us back on track because I don't want to get us off. This. There's no fancy points. We're just going verse by verse today to kick and start this thing. Still in verse 1, he says, I'm Simon Peter. I'm a bond servant and an apostle of Jesus Christ. Now, the order here is just beautiful. I don't know if you catch it. He lists himself as a servant first. Right? Not, not the apostle. Think about it. You could go to these territories and these towns, especially like if it's, a, if it's people who believed what you believed, and they would look and they'd be like, oh, that's the, that's the apostle. That's one of the men that walk with Jesus. Right, but but he starts off with saying, I'm I'm a bondservant. Now, bondservant's cool because a bondservant is somebody who chose to become a slave to the master. He's a guy who said, you know what? I'm choosing to be a slave to Christ. Everybody in the church ought to be a bondservant. You you ought to be the word of doulos, like you you ought to be, you know, a servant to the Lord. And what, what Peter's writing here, he's saying, he goes, My standing as a bondservant is more, more important to me than my standing as an apostle before you guys. So, so, so here, I just said it wasn't any points, but, but there's some cool things. So here's what you can write down. Before you can be sent, you got to be willing to serve. Hear me. Before you could ever be sent, before any team could go on a mission, before we could ever send stuff to, to Uganda or any other area of the world, you got to be willing to serve. 
You got to be willing to serve. I don't know if you guys realize this as, as, as members of the church, but do you realize more than 75% of your leadership team cleans your toilets? Right? I, I don't know about you, but I think that's awesome. You know what I'm saying? Like there's churches out there where, where that guy's not going to touch the toilet bowl. Right? I'm not cleaning that crap, literally. Right? Well, I'm, that's somebody else's job. I'm, I'm on church leadership. I'm a Sunday school teacher. I'm, I'm a deacon. I'm an elder. I'm, a, I'm over this. I'm over that. I, I handle the finances. My, my job is the book. Those are the same people for you guys that, that are scrubbing your toilets. That's an attitude of I'm willing to serve before I'm willing to be sent. And Peter, Peter hits on this and he says, guys, I'm a, I'm a bond servant. I, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a slave. We, we live in a culture where, like, everybody's so big on titles, right? You guys have heard, like, I, I, I picked with Crystal. I was like, if I had gone to school as long as you had gone to school and got these degrees, I don't care if they don't call it a doctor or not, you would call me Dr. Purvis. <laughs> I'm just telling you, like, the official thing is, is Esquire. But, and and even, even if nobody knew what that was, you would call me Esquire. Like, everywhere I went, my desk would say, Esquire Purvis. Right? Now, I have no doctorate degree. I have no Esquire. You can call me Bachelor. And I struggled to get through that part. Um, not Bachelor and not married, but, but Bachelor in a, in a degree. So, but, but, but they like, I would want that title if I had done all that work. This guy, this guy says in a world where, where they think everything's out to, to serve them, that's, that's not what it's about. It's about me finding God's purpose and God's plan for my life and fulfilling it and serving the world. Maybe that's the problem in our marriages and our homes and at work and everywhere else. We're expecting the world to serve us. What if we woke up in the morning with the attitude of I'm ready to serve? You imagine if you woke up and the first thing you roll over and you look at that spouse that you picked that you're so proud of most of the time. And your first thought in your head was, what can I do to serve you? Right? Give me a coffee. Amen. That's all you need. <laughs> coffee and a muffin and we're set for the day. <laughs> what, what if you went to work with that attitude? And I'm not even talking about like under the boss of, hey, hey, boss, what can I do to serve you? What if you looked at your coworkers, equals? What can I do to serve you? What about your, 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 your customers? What can I do to serve you? What if, what if you came into the church and your first question was, what can I do what can I do to serve? Not what can I come to get. What can I come to do? Peter's big on this thing, and he makes sure that we, we get it. And he says in every area of our life, we're, we're to be serving because our, our, our goal as the believer, our goal is, as becoming and understanding more in our relationship with Christ is, is that we're supposed to now develop an attitude like Christ. Christ didn't come down and, and look at his apostles and say, you call me master. Now, they, they called him master, but it wasn't like that, that dogmatic attitude. He came, and he got on his hands and knees, and he washed their feet. He came, and he went to, to groups of people that nobody else would love and nobody else would care about, and he spent time with them. It blew their minds so much that when he's speaking with one of the ladies, who wasn't even necessarily the worst of the worst that he spoke to, but she asked him, she goes, do you know who I am? It'd be like he's sitting there talking to the town drunk or the, the town drug addict or, or the town whore. And, 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 and she's like, do you know what everybody's going to think about you talking to me in public for everybody? And Jesus says, I know exactly who you are. 
And I like to think because everything's not not written, you know, because I can't, can't couldn't record everything. What does it say? If we were to record everything that happened in Jesus' life, the li- all the libraries in the world wouldn't have enough room to hold all those books. So I like to think there's something in there where he began to tell her who she was. Just to make sure she understood, you know, like I, I do know who you are. You know, there's speculation about when the woman was caught with adultery and they had the stones and the speculation about all the stuff that Jesus may or may not have wrote in the sand. And, and I just wonder, like, how much did he let them know that he knew? Right? How many names that she had been with <laughs> that was in the crowd was written right there? How, how, you know what I'm saying? Like what? What all was right there that we don't get to know about, but Jesus made sure they know that I know, and I still choose to be right here with you. I still choose to come fellowship with you. I still choose to hang out. You know what I'm saying? Like he, it was a different attitude. So, so this is a beautiful thing where he starts and goes, I, I'm a servant first. I'm a servant first. Like I, I, I want to be with, with you guys first ahead of this, this apostle title that, that I get. So right after he gets that straight and makes sure they understand it, he says, Simon Peter, a servant and apostle of Jesus Christ. Then he says this. And I don't know if you guys ever fall in this trap, but, but I've spoken with people who do sometimes, so it gets me worried. He says, to those who have attained a faith equal like mine, or equal with ours, some translation says, right? Here's what he's saying if you don't catch it. To those who have obtained this this precious faith, he knows this faith is precious. He knows how how beautiful it is, how deep it is. And he says the same salvation that I've experienced is is the same righteousness before God that you have. Hear me, church, if you get nothing else today, like if you're a new believer, if you're you're an old believer and just had some things mixed up, he's he's writing and he's saying this this is great. He's saying I'm an apostle, but the first thing I want to make sure you understand is that you and I are equals. Right? In a world where we're so worried about hierarchy and positions and, 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 and all that kind of fancy stuff, he says, I want you to understand we're, we're on a level we're on a level playing field. I, I think this is beautiful because he, here, here's what, do you, and I guess I need to ask, like, do you understand this? Do you believe this? Do you believe that if Peter was resurrected right now and he was standing up here with me, Peter, who, who walked with Jesus, Peter who did some miracles, Peter who... Who, who walked on water, Peter, who God establishes his church on and began to, to spread missionaries out on, like the, the same Peter. Would you look up here if you saw him and know that you guys are on the same playing field that he's on? We fall in the trap in this world. I, I, I don't know if you understand, like sometimes you do it maybe subconsciously. Like we fall in the trap of this world sometimes of looking at a guy who's on stage and thinking like, oh man, he's so much, him and God are like, so much clo- I wish I could be, we look at Sunday school teachers and we think the same thing. We look at, look at missionaries and we're like, oh man, if I could, if I could just, if I could just. And Peter writes this thing and goes, guys, we're, there's, there's no such thing as like this super, super spiritual relationship with God. Like we're, we're on the same field. You can have exactly what I have if, if you were willing to, to dig for more, if you're willing to, to grow to grow deep. We've got to stop thinking like we're less in a relationship with Christ than somebody else. Because when you develop that attitude, one, not only does it does it hinder your relationship with Christ, but it hinders what you're able to do for Christ. Because think of it this way. If you truly believed, if you truly believe like you're on the same playing field as Moses, David, Abraham, Paul, how about Elijah? You guys remember Elijah? Everybody remember Elijah's story? Like Elijah was, was this guy who was a prophet. He called down fire from heaven. He made there be a, a, a drought for three years. You guys remember? You guys remember? That's a powerful kind of guy, right? 
Here's what James says. Go to James chapter 5, verse 17. And James 5, 5, 17, he's writing, he says, Elijah was a human being as we are. We read over it like it's nothing, but you know what James is writing and making sure his people get? Elijah, the guy who called down fire from heaven. Elijah, the guy who caused the drought for three years. Elijah, the guy who you guys put up on this, this mantle sometimes. He's, he's just a man just like you are. You're just like Elijah. You're just like Peter. You're just like Moses and Abraham and all these guys. And, and, and here's what I want to make sure you get this, because if you understand that, then here's the next thing you have to understand. If I'm just like them, then I can do what they did. Right? I wish like I didn't have this thing or this thing and I wish I had like a mic because that would have been like a mic drop. We would have ended church early, but y'all didn't give me a mic, so we're gonna keep going. But but like that that's it. Like that that's his big thing right there. He's saying, he's saying, if if you're just like them and you're on equal standing with them and they did these great big old things, then you can do these great big old things. You can do the same things that, that they did. And it's this constant reminder that I just think is, is awesome and beautiful, and, and sometimes I think we miss it. So I just want you to answer for yourself this morning. Do you really believe that you're just like these heroes of the faith that are in Scripture? What Scripture repeatedly says, you're, you're just like them. Or do you believe your emotions? You know, the world tries to tell you, oh, follow your heart, follow your heart. But Scripture says the heart's, the heart's evil. The heart's wicked. Follow, 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 follow the crap. No, the, the lies of the world aren't the truth of the word. Right? So, so you got to answer, like, which, which way is it going to be? Then he goes on. Wow, we're only in verse 2. Verse 2. Now we're back to what I started with, with one more of. Grace and peace be multiplied to you. Grace and peace be multiplied to you. Two of probably the most precious gifts for somebody who's received them. Now you, you can't describe grace to somebody who's never received grace, right? I mean, really, you can't. I don't even know if you've never received grace if you can give grace. You know, like, that, like there's that, there's just that, that thing, like there's a hiccup somewhere along the line, like it, if it's not right. And, but he says, grace and peace be multiplied to you. Could we not use some more grace and more peace? Now, what he says when, it, when he says multiplied, here's what's beautiful, because this whole thing he's talking about maturing. There's a, there's a play on all the Greek words, and, I, and I'll share some of them with you, but we don't have time to go in all of them, where everything is, is building on the other one and making it stronger. So when he says this stuff is to be multiplied, he's saying you, great, you gain a greater maturity of this stuff. So what that also means is this. You now know when and how much grace and peace to give. That's powerful, guys, because some people you got to crack a whip on. Now, that ain't what he's talking about, so we're not going to go long on it, but, but he's saying some people need more grace. Some people need you to provide more grace so that they can have more, more peace. He said there's some areas in your life where you're going to need more grace. And he says, and the way you get this, here's what's, here's what's so beautiful. The way you get this is that you know God. You know God. Now, I'm not just talking about, and Peter's not just talking about, Scripture doesn't just talk about just knowing about God. And I, and I want you to get this. This is as important as understanding your standing before the Father. Like, you're, you're equal with all these superheroes, right? What, what's just as important as understanding what he means by knowing God. It's not enough that we know things about God. It's not enough that we can quote facts and all this stuff. Please understand me. The demons in hell know about God. They, they, here's, the, here's the crazy part. There's demons in hell and in this world that believe more about God than you believe. So knowledge and belief isn't necessarily enough. It isn't necessarily what he's talking about, right? 
He's saying, I don't want you to know things about God. I want you to know God. And he uses this word here. Now now it's building up. There's only like two or three words for for know in the in the original language, but this this word of of of, of nostos, which has a G in the beginning, so I don't know how to pronounce it correctly, but but you could you could get it, right? But 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 it's a word about relationship and not just any relationship. It's a word about intimate relationship. And just in case you're like, I don't know if you're making this up because it, it sounds like it's the same word that's used when it says that Cain knew his wife. And the verse right after says, and she bore him a child. Do we know what kind of knowing that the word means now? I will prove it with scripture or I can go deeper. It doesn't matter to me. My wife is shaking her head for you guys to please, please understand it at this level so that we don't have to go deeper. Right? Cain knew his wife, and right after that, she bore him a kid. He knew her. It's an intimate word. And I want to make sure you get this because, guys, when it when it talks about us knowing God, it's saying there's got to be more than head knowledge. There's got to be an intimate relationship with him. It, it's got to be that that close. I mean, you think about like like we we know people in the church, but then there's people that were more intimate with that we really know special things about. Like there's there's a different bond that's built, right? Like it's it's just it's just a whole different kind of thing right here. So. Jesus elaborates on it in Matthew chapter 7 just to prove how, how very important I think it really is. In Matthew chapter 7, verse 21, Jesus is, is talking and he says this. He's, I can't imagine Christ saying this, this phrase right here, especially when you break down the wording and understand. He says, but, but I need you to depart from me because I never knew you. And he uses the word, same word there, I never intimately knew you. I never got real close with you you never got real real close with me it's almost like jesus is is writing and he's saying because these people are standing before him and they're they're thinking they're going to be okay and he's saying you knew about me you you knew a lot of a lot of things of me you you even believe some of them to be true but there was no real relationship there was no real relationship you never you never sought enough to try to try to learn about me you know i I'm going to tell you this right now. If you're single, please understand this. If you're single and you're trying to find somebody, you want to find somebody who's going to be genuine and real, they want to know about you. Seriously. Now, not the no I was just now talking about. They want to know about you, okay? Get that, get that clear. Like, they, they want to know your favorite color. They want to know your favorite music. They, they want to know your favorite food. They want, to know, they want to know everything about you. Like, that means they genuinely want to know you. And God looks at these, these, this, this group in this illustration of, of Matthew 7, and he's saying, there's going to be some people that stand before me, and they're going to be like, oh, I knew that verse, and I knew this, and I did this, and I did that. And I'm going to have to look at them and say, you never even thought enough about me to really know me. It was there. It was all, it was all right there for you, and you, you never wanted to deepen our relationship. You never wanted it to become more. You were happy with just getting your name on a church roster. And you didn't want it to go any, any further. There was no fruit from the tree. He says, this grace and this peace are multiplied as you know him more and more. And he, then he says, he says, everything that pertains to life, look at the verse, everything that pertains to life and godliness is given to us. I just, I just got to stop on that thing there too. Everything that pertains to life and godliness. Everything in this world and everything in the next world pertains to knowing God 
Even if you go all the way back to the Old Testament, when you get to your, your, your commands, the greatest commandment was not that you shall know the right things about God. It was what? Jesus breaks it down a little bit better for us. He says that you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, and all your mind. Because if it's just knowing about God, all you got is religion. All I am is a spokesperson getting up here telling you what to go with. And that's, that's trash, man. That's not God's desire. That's not, that's not going to get you anywhere. Right? Maybe it's like this. Do, do you, with, with full respect of this word, do you see God as a person that you can get to know better? Not, not just the deity side of God. He is that. I understand that. I don't want to take away from that. But do you see it as somebody who desires to have a deeper, a deeper relationship with you? Like somebody who loves you, who's crazy about you, who gave their life for you? Or do you just see him as a resource? I can come to church and I can get some spiritual power and I can make it through another week. I can get motivated and, and survive a couple more days before I, I got to go back and, and get re, regrouped again. Here's how you can tell the difference. If you truly love somebody, this works in the world and, and spiritually. If you truly love somebody, when you're apart from them for a great amount of time, it drives you nuts. Right? I mean, it just drives you, it drives you crazy. So I, so I ask, like, when you're apart from God, does it drive you crazy? When, when, you, when you're filling your life with so much, go back to the beginning, when you're filling life with so much more other stuff, worldly stuff, news, information, uh, owner's manuals and tools and all this, all this stuff. Does it drive you nuts when you sit down and realize that you've been apart from, from God? Some of you can go all week without reading your Bible and it doesn't bother you. And that's one thing, but, but even deeper than that, do you realize there's people in this room right now, don't look around, right, because you'll, you'll, you'll offend them. There's people right now in this room who go all week without praying. And I'm not talking about like, God bless the burger so I can be skinny while I'm eating the fattening object right i'm talking about like a genuine like a genuine conversation with god like like spending time with him being real there's there's people there's people in this room who don't care what god cares about I, i'm gonna get deep into that here in somebody's verse so i don't want to go into that but but here it is the more you love god the more the more you want to know god then he says peter says this he says that's that's when you'll get more grace and more peace it'll be multiplied to you and then he says this verse three his divine power has given us all things that pertain to this. All things. Like you'll, you'll have enough for, for everything. And you get it through his divine power. He's making sure you understand, like, you don't get any credit for it. It's not, it's not what you did. It's through his divine power. It's almost like you can go back to his name again. Maybe Peter's thinking of it. When, when Peter gets given his name, when, when he's Simon and he says, you're the Messiah, you're the Son of the living God, and he says, you're going to be Peter. Jesus' follow verse, I can't remember if it's the next verse or a couple after, but he tells him, he goes, I know you didn't get this on your own. I mean, read it. It's like, it's like, it's like the teacher looks at him and goes, you got it. And if I'm Peter, I'm like, ha looking at the other disciples. I got it and you didn't, baby. Right? And then Jesus follows up, but I know you, I know you. <laughs> In the original translation, it actually would break down better into saying, I know you're not smart enough to come up with this answer. I'm serious. That's the way it's portrayed. This, this knowledge, this smartness was not come about by yourself, right? So, so he's saying, like, you, you weren't smart enough to figure this out on your own. I know my father had to, had to give it to you, right? He had to, he had to establish it in you, right? 
So, so he's saying this thing and he's getting this thing and, and he's saying like this more grace and this more peace and, and all this kind of stuff. And I don't know, I guess as I think about us today, I'm like, how many other things do we seek peace and grace in? How many other things do we try to substitute peace and grace to get it? And God's saying, no, you're not going to truly get it all until you're, you're closer to me. If you go through, and maybe that's a good test. Like if you're going through some stuff like Celeste described at the beginning and you break down, maybe it's because you're not as close as you're supposed to be, right? Because you have, you're missing some grace and you're, you're missing some peace. Sometimes we just start chasing, chasing grace and peace and we forget who gives it to us. You realize there's people who are like, there's some in this room, like we're pursuing things of God, but we don't pursue God. We, we want all the stuff that God provides, but we're not really trying to get in a deeper, deeper relationship. And I guess I'm harping on this big in the beginning because if you truly believe this, you can have it. That, that's, that's the big part. Like if you believed this, you, you, you could have it. There's a, there's a quote by John Piper. <laughs> he says, just be careful. You're not going to like this. Just being honest. One of the great uses of Twitter and Facebook will be to prove on the last day that prayerlessness was not because of a lack of time. Wow. All right. I'm going to say it again because it's good. One of the great uses of Twitter and Facebook will be to prove on the last day that prayerlessness was not because of a lack of time. How much time do you spend on your little devices? How much time do we click and squirrel? How much time do we watch and, Right? And, and I don't think, I don't think all social networking is bad. That's not what I'm trying to say. And I don't even think that's what John Piper was saying, right? I just, I just think he's acknowledging the fact that realistically, there's a lot of stuff in the world that aren't necessarily bad that can take us away from God, that can deviate us away from from His grace and His peace. And he's not even saying to to get rid of this stuff. He's just saying like, if you want more grace and more peace, then you should want, you should want more of me. You should make sure you're spending more time with, with me, which is crazy because we're willing to do almost anything to get all kind of other stuff, but we're not, we're not willing to actually try this, this knowledge of God and check it out and see. Paul says, Philippians chapter 3, verse 10, this, this same place that Peter's at, and he says, that I may, that I may come to know him. That's his desire. His ultimate desire is just to, to know God. Through, through the same word that we're talking about with knowledge, like not this casual acquaintance, but this complete and thorough knowledge of God. We come and we learn about him, and when we do, we've got everything we need. I, I can prove if you believe this right now. How many of y'all lost it to worry this week? Really? I guarantee there's more than two people in the room that worried this week and lost it to worry. How, how many people freaked out this week? A lot of scheduling going on, some craziness, so you just freaked out. Things didn't go the way you wanted. You freaked out. You're worried about politics. How many of you, I watched a dad yesterday, and if this was during football season, this would have been me. I'm just going to confess, right? But I watched a dad yesterday at this little dance recital. He's got his headphones in, and he's watching a soccer game. His wife was so mad. (laughs) And it was great because he was Haley's PE teacher, so... If your kid goes to Rawlings, now you know who he is. But anyway, not to call anybody out because that is wrong. Can't believe we would even think about doing that. But, but, but when we watch sports, how many of us get mad? Throw the cup, throw the hat, rip the shirt, 
disown the team for five seconds and then pick them back up and own them again. Right? I'm there. I'm with you guys. I do it all the time. How about money, finances? We get so worried about it. We get so beat up about it. Here's what he's saying. We have everything we need in Christ. So if we have everything we need in Christ, why does all the other stuff matter? Why, and, and not that it doesn't matter, but why do we let it get to us? Why do we let it matter more than it should? Why do we care how the sport team is doing? Why, why do we care about the politics? Why, why do we care so much where we let it tear us up? He's saying if, if you've got God, you've got everything you need. This is the guy, verse 3, this is the guy, this is the, this is the one who, who called you. Who called you, made sure you had this, this understanding with him. You were called by his glory and by his virtue. What he's saying here, this is so, this is so cool, especially after coming off of, of 1 Peter. He says, you never have to doubt any of the promises of God. So then I would ask, like, do you really believe the promises of God? I, I just throw out some easy ones that you ought to be using daily. Scripture says that if you resist the devil, he will flee from you. That's a promise of God. Right? But how many of us resist the devil and hope that he flees? If you call on the name of the Lord, I will answer. That's a promise of God. But how many of us call on the name of the Lord? Right? There's promises of God that are all over like we just, we just don't bank on. Verse 4. This is, this is how deep Peter wants to make sure we get it in the very beginning. That though these may be partakers of the divine nature... Guys, check, check this out. Here, here's what, what's so cool. And this, this is the same idea that Paul has in Galatians chapter 4. I think we have that one on the screen. So Galatians chapter 4, verses 5 through 7. Talking about being partakers of, of God's divine nature. Peter's, Peter's idea here. To redeem those under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons. You realize you're like prince and princesses? I don't mean that in a gay way for you guys. But like, man, well, I'm just saying like, no guys, I want to be a prince, right? Like that just isn't in your goal. Like, but you're, you want to be a son of God, right? I want to be able to call him Abba. And because you are sons, God sent the spirit of his son into our hearts crying, Abba, father. So you are no longer a slave, but a son. Now, now it's kind of like, like, yeah, you, you've chosen to be the slave and to become a member of this family. But now God wants to take it further. And he wants you to get everything's expanding, right? And, and, and it's growing. I want you to have more than just this, this servant attitude of being under me. I want you to understand, like, you're, you're my child. And here's what's beautiful. If you don't catch it right here while he's saying this. You realize Christ could have just went to the cross, died, got your salvation, and been out? I got him saved. That's all. I, I, gave, him, I gave him a way to get saved. But he went further. He goes, I want, he's generous. I want you to be partakers of my divine nature with me. I I want you to be, I not only want you to be like me, I want you to be with me. So much so that when Paul writes this, and and I know you're thinking, like, I don't, I don't know if I fully grasp this. You're not supposed to. First Corinthians chapter two, verse nine, Paul writes and he says, no eye has seen nor ear has heard nor the heart of man imagined what God has prepared for those who love him. You know what, what, what Paul's writing? He's saying you can't even dream up. You can't even dream up what God's doing. 
what he's already done, what he's going to continue to do, right? You can imagine, make all your wildest dreams, wildest imaginations you possibly could. This is a crazy verse. And God looks at you and says, you got no clue what I'm capable of. Right? That's how big and awesome God is. I hope you guys are getting that, man. That's a cool thing, right? No human has a mind to be able to conceive the great things that God is doing. Your mind, what's mine? Here's what God say. What's mine is yours. Right? This is beautiful. All right, five and seven. You got to get to the fruit because that's supposed to be the, the main thing. That was all just an intro. <laughs> we're going to expand on the fruit every week. So we're going to do five through seven. He says, how, how, how to have a path for fruitfulness. And look at what he says at the very beginning. Giving all diligence. How many of you guys just want to rely on God to do everything? But in an unspiritual way, maybe. Well, God, I just want you to make me more holy. God, I just want you to do this. I just want you to do that. Here, here's what Paul's like. Paul's saying you ought to be giving it all your diligence. He's saying, he's saying, Abba's got a part, but you got a part. Right? And some of you, I guarantee you, I just said you could rely on the promises of God. I guarantee you God's going to do his part. So if we're not getting what we're supposed to be getting, it's safe to say it's because we're not doing our part. We're not doing what we're supposed to be doing. He says, giving all diligence, making, making every effort you can to walk with the Lord. Growing, checking it out, growing in your knowledge, growing in this thing, right? He says, and when you do this, if you're making all diligence, if you're giving all diligence, he says, you're going to add to your faith virtue. So he's, he's up front. Everything has to start off faith. It's going to take a level of faith to get this thing started. But he says, once you get this faith, what we're going to add to your faith is virtue. We begin our life with God with faith, but faith progresses into virtue. What is virtue? Virtue is knowledge. Then he goes even deeper. We're going to look at each one. He says, knowledge, self-control, perseverance, godliness, brotherly kindness, and, and love. Love being the, the capstone of it all. Do you see the, the steps that he's building here? The scope of this list demonstrates that God wants us to have like the most well-rounded Christian life that you could have. Right? Like he, he wants us to, 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 be, to be the most well-rounded group of followers in as many areas as we can. He says, and, and if you're doing this thing and you're, you're getting this, then you're going to have you're gonna have self-control. Self-control. You're not going to be ruled by the desires of the flesh. You, you, you're going to replace something that's less fulfilling with what's actually fulfilling. That's self-control. Self-control is when you're smart enough to look at something and be like, you know what, that is, that is less fulfilling than I thought it would be. It wears off faster than I thought it should. I'm going to replace it with something that lasts, lasts longer. After self-control, he gives the word perseverance. Perseverance is repeating and staying in self-control, right? You notice how easier it is if you have self-control to do it once and then do it again? And by the time you've done it, a lot of times it gets easier every time, right? You got an anger issue? Start practicing a little pause before you re respond. You'll, you'll, I'm serious. It, it'll, it'll, it'll become a natural thing. Like you'll, you'll get better at it. Just say no once or twice and, and it'll go. He says this, he says, this leads, if you can get perseverance, if you can get the, the repetition of staying in control, it, it leads to godliness. Now, godliness is a very important definition. It is being like God. Makes sense with the word, right? Being like God, being as much like God as you can, which means this. And here's what he says, and I love this, this expanding. We wouldn't get it if it wasn't for this translation. But he says, so that you can have brotherly love. That's the word Philadelphia. All right? He's saying, I want you to have brotherly love. I want you to have that, that kindness for one another. And he says, the more you get like God, though, the more you're going to care for other people. 
Because then it becomes, look at what he says, then it becomes agape love. And that's deeper than brotherly love. That's a sacrificial love. That's a love that, that God blesses and gives you where, where you care about what other people are getting. And, and, and he's saying all this stuff, and he's, and he's going into this stuff, and he's saying, but if you don't grow in the knowledge, then you're not going to be able to bear this stuff. It's no different. Go, go to John chapter 15. If you've got your Bibles, I think we have two of the verses on the screen, verses 2 and, and verses 8. John 15, 2, Jesus again in the gospel he says, every branch in me that does not produce fruit, I'm going to have to remove. He prunes every branch that produces fruit. Oh, hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on. I could preach a whole sermon here, but we just got to grab like little bits and pieces and move on, right? He's saying if you're part of the, the branch, if you're abiding in me, if you're part of, the, part of the tree, but you're hanging out with some other parts of the tree that, that are hindering your growth, I'm going to cut them off. And know what he's saying? Every branch that does not produce fruit has got to go. He's going to remove those things around you that are hindering your growth. Some of you are like wondering, I can't believe God took that from me. I can't believe I lost this. I can't. And God's saying, I took it away so that you could grow. I took it away so that you could be deeper, so that you could understand. And then this next part... <laughs> Even the branches that are producing fruit, I'm going to cut them up. Now, I'm no gardener by no means. But it, it's always interesting to me that if you, if you cut X amount off of a plant, it'll come back with like two or three times what you cut off. It doesn't even make sense to me. I don't understand it as somebody who's not a, not a garden kind of guy, right? But, but this is no different than what Christ is saying. Christ is saying if you're, if you're growing fruit, if you're producing fruit, I don't want you to understand that, like, think about when that branch first grows, like, one, one fruit. That branch probably thinks good of itself, right? Like, he's looking at the other branch. He's like, hey, I got something shiny on me, baby. Right? You ain't got it. You're getting cut off and thrown into the fire. Oh, right? But, but, but Jesus says, like, I, want you, I, want, I don't want you to settle for the one fruit. I want, you to, I want you to prune it so next time it can grow two fruits and three fruits and four fruits. It's all about more. I don't want you to settle for the one. I want you to settle for more. If I have to cut something off from you so that you will produce, here's what he says, so that it will produce more fruit. That's the goal, more fruit. So that, here's what's awesome, so that my Father is glorified by this. It ain't so you getting the credit that you may produce much fruit, and through producing this fruit is how you prove to be my disciples. So it's not just a name on a roll. It's not just getting dunked in a tank. It's the fruit you produce. And it's safe to say, understand me, I'm saying it with love. It's safe to say that if the tree isn't producing fruit, there's a problem. The problem is it might not be connected. It might not be abiding in the Father. So God sometimes wants to remove things that are going to hinder growth. He prunes us so, so that we can grow more grow more. Why one fruit? Can I share something with you guys? This, this isn't from this chapter, but, but I think it's so good when we're talking about fruit, right? You realize fruit's not for you? The fruit you produce isn't for you. I'll prove it. You ever seen an apple tree walk over to the other apple tree, pluck off an apple and start eating it? Like, man, that was a good apple, right? You ever see it pull one from its own branch, 
And start, that would be some weird stuff. That's like some of this Chronicles of Narnia stuff that might be watching. Right? Like, like that, that's strange. A tree walking around, a tree grabbing fruit. A tree's not eating its own fruit. The fruit you produce is for others. Right? That's a free one, but I think it's important why Peter's getting on this thing with fruit because we need to understand like our fruit is to benefit other people. It's to bless other people, not to bless ourselves. All right, that's, that one's good. Five. Man, we're still on five. Given all diligence. Oh, we kind of talked about that. you got to give it your all. If you're not giving it your all, you're going to miss out so that you get experiments, experimental knowledge. And what I mean by that is this. You, you can't do things God's way until you start seeing things God's way. So he goes in, he says, or, or maybe I want to ask you this before I go into eight and nine. Do you guys let your faith influence the way you see the world? Do you let your faith influence the way you see the world? If you do, you start looking at people different. I mean, you really do. You start looking at situations different. You start looking at things different. Right? Let your faith influence the way you see the world. Eight and nine. How to use these qualities in, in the measure of our Christian walk. He says, if these things are yours and abound, every, everything's so, so much about more. He says, if, one, it's an if. If these things are yours, then they should be abounding. You know, we, we feel good that we get like one quality from time to time. Peter says these ought to be the qualities that are abounding in you all the time. It ought, not, it ought to not be like a surprise to somebody that they saw you love somebody. It ought to be like that's, that's, a, that's a child of God, like he's loving everybody all the time. Right? That you care for somebody, that you gave. Right? Sometimes I think we, we mix that up. The goal isn't that these things and the, the fruit is evident once in a while, but that it's evident much. Peter says these things ought to be abounding in us. Verse 9, he says, he who lacks these things is short-sighted. He says, if, if you don't have this stuff, if all the stuff I'm talking about, patience, self-control, godliness, brotherly love, actual agape love, like, like if you don't have that stuff, you got an eyesight problem. You're not seeing clearly. You, you got some eye trouble. You're virtually blind. And he goes further in the verse. He says, you're virtually blind. You're showing that you've forgotten what you were cleansed from. I think every time Peter would have said both names, I don't know how often he did, but I can't get away from why he started the letter that way. I think when he said both names, he remembered who he was. I think he remembered it was Simon that denied Christ. But it was Peter that he called back. Right? It was, it was Simon that, that got called Satan, but it was Peter that got told we we're going to build a church. Right? Like, he's remembering. He's remembering. He's never, he's never forgetting what Christ had to do for him. Sometimes I, I think we forget what it cost God to redeem our salvation. Verses uh, 10 and 11. Making your call and, and election sure, like guaranteeing. You realize you can be sure of your salvation? Do, do we understand that? I used to always think, every time I'd, I'd think about this point, I would think about how many people, I don't know how many people kind of knew in transition. There was a lady named Mandy who used to sing. And she would, she would sing this song about knowing. Except for when she got to one part of it, she, she would get to the special part of the course. She'd be like, I know that 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 I'm his and that he is mine. So do you know? Do you truly know that you're his? He says you can. 
He says, as we see these things in our life, as those things begin to pop up and become relevant, we can know that our lives are becoming more like the nature of Christ. Romans 8.29 says, says this as Paul writes, being conformed to the, to the image of his son. For those who foreknew, he had predestined to be conformed to the image of his son. They were beginning to look like Jesus. They were beginning to act like Jesus. They were beginning to talk like Jesus. They were beginning to treat people like Jesus. This goes so much deeper than like an unsaved person because an unsaved person can do a lot of moral and religious duties. They can do good things. But the, the, these things that Peter's writing about is a matter of the heart of somebody who's been born again. It's, it's something that, that, that God put a passion for you to have and do inside of you. So simply said, like if we're called and, and we are truly the elect and born again, then we're born to live this way. Verse 10, for if you do these things, you will, you will never, you'll never stumble. Now, Peter's not saying you're going to be perfect. Listen to what he's saying. He's saying if, but really the translation should say, while you're doing these things. Think about it. While you're loving somebody, you can't hate somebody, right? He's saying while you're doing these things, while you're pursuing these things, while you're pursuing godliness, you can't be devilish, right? While you're pursuing self-control, you can't be falling off the bandwagon. While you're pursuing perseverance, you can't be doing it. He's saying, while you're pursuing these things, you're not going to be able to stumble. Like you're going to be able to keep pressing on to this stuff. There's there's a gentleman who wrote this this thing that I'm going to close with. It gets to this talking about this new creation, this this new being. I don't know if I can do it justice, but here here's how he writes it. Here's here's how he would present it. He said, "It's not too late to be what you might have been." I'm not quite sure who wrote this thing. It's called the Fellowship of the Unashamed. He said, but I want to close with it because it's this powerful, powerful message. And he heard this guy speak it. And in the, in the speaking of it, he says, this is what this guy stood up and said, talking about being a devoted disciple to the disciplined determination that could be closer with Christ. He said, I'm a part of the Fellowship of the Unashamed. The die has been cast. I've stepped over the line. The decision has been made. I'm a disciple of his, and I'm not looking back any longer. I'm not letting up. I'm not slowing down. I'm not backing away. I'm not being still. My past has been redeemed. My present makes sense. My future is guaranteed to be secure. I'm done. I'm finished with low living, sight walking, small planning, smooth knees, colorless dreams, tame visions, mundane talking, cheap living, and dwarf goals. I no longer need preeminence, prosperity, position, promotions, plaudience, or popularity. I don't have to be right first or tops or recognized or praised or even rewarded because I live by faith. I lean on his presence. I walk with his patience. I'm lifted up by prayer and I labor by the Holy Spirit power. My face is set. My gain is fast. My goal is heaven. My road will be narrow and my way may be rough. But my companions sometimes are few. But my God is reliable and my mission is clear. I will not be bought, compromised, detoured, lured away, turned back, deluded or delayed in any way. I will not flinch in the face of a sacrifice or hesitate in the presence of my adversary. I will not negotiate at the table of the enemy. I will not ponder at the pool of popularity or mender in the maze of mediocrity. I won't give up, shut up, or let up until I've stayed up, stored up, prayed up, paid up, preached up for the cause of Christ because I am a disciple of Jesus. I must give until I drop, preach until everybody knows, and work until he comes. And when he does come for his own, He'll have no problems recognizing me because my colors will be clear.
Guys, that's, that's the goal, man. That's the goal. And what he says and what Peter's saying, and this guy's elaborating on this, it's really this last song that the, the worship team's going to come and sing, only Jesus. It's, it's, it's not me. It's not any of, of, of this other stuff. It's only, only Jesus that can do it. Like, I, I want to be all that I can be. I want to make sure he knows that I'm his. I want to be more because I understand that he's more and that he can be more in my life if I would give him that much reign. Kick all the other stuff out. Ignore everything else that doesn't matter. Ignore everything, all the noise of the world. All the distractions. All the sidetractions. Ignore them.